Thanks to Harry's for supporting The Motley Fool. To get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel, go to harrys.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, October 17th, and I'm your host, Vincent Chen. Excited to welcome a special guest to the show today, fellow Fool and Financials host, Michael Douglas. Um, Michael, great to have you with us. Thanks, Vince. It's great to be here. This is actually the only Industry Focus show I have never been on until today. So this is a big day for me. Well, I'm glad to welcome you uh, to this segment. Uh, Michael, you and I are in the Full HQ studio today to continue with our Pitch a Stock theme week uh, for Industry Focus. And we pulled from our brain trust of writers and editors who were recently at Full HQ for the annual Writers Conference. That was just last week. So we have three stock pitches from some of our Full.com contributors to share with listeners today, and three more for each of the other segments of Industry Focus this week, actually. And I'll give you a chance for a quick shout out. Who do you guys talk about yesterday in financials? So we talked about Square, MasterCard, and Berkshire Hathaway. And we've gotten a lot of uh, emails from listeners mm-hmm. uh, wanting more information on those companies. We hope that the stocks that we cover in consumer and retail today are just as exciting. So, in the world of consumer retail, we'll, we'll hear first from uh, Steve Symington with his take on Under Armour uh, with tickers uh, UA and UAA. Then we have Jeremy Bowman pitching Dave and Buster's ticker Play. Love that. And last but, <laughs> last but not least, we have Simon Erickson who will be covering an unconventional retailer with Tractor Supply Company ticker TSCO. You ready to do this? Let's do it. Hi, I'm Steve Symington, and I cover tech and consumer goods, and I am pitching Under Armour today. And thanks to a slowdown in its core North American market and the bankruptcies of some of its largest retail partners, Under Armour has delivered two straight quarters of single-digit revenue growth. That might not sound so bad, but it came after over six years of at least 20% growth. And as a result, Under Armour shares are down more than 50% over the past year. But I think the market's ignoring several catalysts that play in Under Armour's favor over the long term. Now, first, in response to those near-term headwinds, Under Armour's implemented a restructuring last quarter to streamline its business and better align its results toward its most promising growth opportunities. Now, in the near term, that means we should see a pivot toward Under Armour's higher-margin direct-to-consumer business, where revenue climbed 20% year-over-year last quarter. And in addition, uh, investors seem to forget that Under Armour only just launched UAS, that's Under Armour Sportswear, late last year. That's a category that represents almost a quarter of total sales for its larger competitors like Nike and Adidas. But it's still only a sliver of the Under Armour's total revenue stream. And uh, I think most compelling, Under Armour's international revenue climbed 57% year over year last quarter, but still represents just a little over 20% of total sales. Now, that leaves Under Armour with a massive runway for global growth that I think is severely underappreciated by more short sighted investors today. Uh, we should get our first look at the progress Under Armour's made when it reports earnings early next month. But over the longer term, I think patient investors who buy Under Armour now and let these catalysts play out, we'll be more than happy with their decision. All right, so first we have Under Armour. Uh, so Steve mentioned the restructuring for this company as being uh, a focus on the DTC channel or the direct to consumer channel, their sportswear, the international growth, and in the latest quarter, their shoe sales, which previously were considered a major growth catalyst mm-hmm. for this company, actually declined as their apparel and accessories put up positive numbers. But when it comes down to it, in 2017, profitability is 
pretty much non-existent so far. And the company is kind of getting a double whammy of declining margins, rising operating expenses. And in the past, you know, this was a company that was putting up quarter after quarter of incredible, incredible growth, uh, almost like a young tech company. Mm-hmm. And they were at a in a position, a very favorable position, where they could spend freely to sustain that growth without really having to worry too much. But now, you know, the competition stepped up. They've lost some of their wholesale partners. What what is your take from the coming from kind of the financial side? Maybe someone who doesn't look at these companies all the time. Uh, what are some things that you see here that kind of might, might concern you or keep you positive? So I. I would say I feel very mixed about Under Armour. I've actually thought about purchasing the stock several times, and I've never pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. Certainly, since I thought about purchasing originally about a year ago, I've that's been great because I, I missed out on what's been something like a fifty percent loss. Um, I think for me, one of the areas that you're still seeing really impressive growth international, right? Yes. I think it's fifty-seven percent year over year or something like that. That's really incredible, and it's great to see that there's such. Such potential strength there, particularly given that it's such a small market for them still. Mm-hmm. That there's so much growth ramp there. Um, I also like the push toward digitization. So in financials, this is banks trying to put their apps up. It's fintech companies like Square. You know, here there's such an opportunity with getting people's data and their information, and then being able to maybe tailor offers based off that. Oh, hey, we noticed that you're running a lot. Okay, here are some running shoes that. You know, it's it's been a certain amount of time since you last bought some. Maybe this is a good time to go ahead and give you a special offer to get you in the store and purchasing a new one. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Flip side, growth slowing, more intense competition, and frankly, it's still really expensive as a stock. Yeah, I want to get to the valuation as a, a bit of a sticking point for sure. I think a lot of people. But what you mentioned in terms of uh, some of the things around understanding customers better, the digitization aspect, and there's mm-hmm. definitely some. I feel like uh, Under Armour's in a unique position in that regard. To you know, the company is investing in, in kind of a system where they can take everything they learn from. The customer orders, you know, mm-hmm. the direct consumer channel not only includes their online stores, but also uh, they have their brand house stores and their factory stores too. And then they also take their three fitness apps mm-hmm. and all the data they get from that, and uh, they roll it all together into a single system that hopefully, long term, you will hope to see. Um, you know, better insights into how consumers shop, what products they want, and that's the kind of thing that I think can be, uh, you know, catalyst. But it'll take. A decent amount of time for for the results for that to really start coming in, coming to fruition. Yeah, and I, I keep coming back to Starbucks, right? Which initially sort of had this this app, and they were beginning with you know one email that went out to everyone, and then they had I don't know, I'm making this up, 400 emails that they you know segmented. And eventually, they were able to get down to an incredible level of personalization. Mm-hmm. If Under Armour is able to do something similar, it's obviously going to be hard to get people to spend every day for Under Armour, sure. like for a, for a coffee. But it's a much higher ticket item when they're able to do that. And so I think that's a really incredible opportunity if they can crack the code and really use data powerfully to understand how they can best serve people and grow demand. Yep, absolutely. So, last point then, coming to that valuation, um, you know, the company decreased. Its growth guidance for 2017 mm-hmm. didn't help them. And in terms of valuation, uh, this is a stock where you have to be willing to pay, I think, something like over 40 times its forward earnings if you want to establish a position. Right. Um, the Under Armour bulls are optimists that we've spoken to, that we've heard from Steve, for example. They focus on some of those things like the strength of the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very strong momentum in key segments like international, but are you convinced 
that that's enough to justify this kind of premium? I think for that multiple, I just can't. I don't see enough there to make me personally a buyer. And again, that's why each time I get I get interested because there's such a brand, there's so much growth opportunity, and each time I end up backing away and saying, you know, I think I can, I think I can better spend my money elsewhere. Sure. Uh, the thing for me I'll say is that I'm very curious to see how they perform during this upcoming holiday season. Mm-hmm. Last year was not a good one for them, but uh, management has spoken to some new strategies and efforts. You know, they have their tiered pricing strategy. Uh, they think they're going to have a better view in terms of making sure their inventory is, you know, not going to be affected by weather. Right. You know, sometimes retailers will speak to that how warm weather, or uh, especially warm weather, for example, hurts them in terms of certain accessories and things along those lines. But I like to see if some of that data um, and some of this restructuring and these various efforts in terms of their retail footprint uh, basically start to show results, even a little bit with this fourth quarter. Absolutely. All right. Well, our next pitch uh, comes from uh, Jeremy Bowman, and it's for Dave and Buster's. Let's hear what he has to say. My name is Jeremy Bowman. I'm a consumer goods analyst with The Motley Fool. I cover uh, mostly retail, restaurants, and e-commerce, and some other consumer-facing stocks. Um, The retail and restaurant sector has certainly been tough lately, as e-commerce is upending traditional traffic patterns in malls and shopping centers, and restaurants seem to be suffering from overexpansion in recent years, when a number of fast casual concepts IPO'd. But one stock in the restaurant space that I think has potential to be a big winner is Dave & Buster's. And now looks like an excellent time to buy. Shares have pulled back recently, losing about a third of their value over the last four months. Dave & Buster's is unique in the restaurant industry because in addition to offering food and beverages, the company attracts customers with amusements like arcade games, billiards, and even bowling. This not only gives the company a unique customer proposition, but also competitive advantage as that entertainment segment provides an additional revenue stream and a more valuable one, as amusements are a higher margin business than food and beverage. The company had 100 locations in North America as of its most recent earnings report, and they see room in the market to double that to at least 200. Comparable sales at the chain have beaten the casual dining benchmark for 21 quarters in a row, which is another sign of its competitive advantage and the attractiveness of its business model. As mall vacancies open up, I also think landlords will look to Dave & Buster's to fill empty spaces as a traffic driver, and the company should be able to get some excellent lease terms as retail dynamics shift. And perhaps most importantly, Dave & Buster's has beaten earnings estimates in every one of its quarterly reports since it went public in 2014. That's a sign that Wall Street continues to underestimate the stock. And that gives it a low bar to jump over, especially as its price-to-earnings valuation has fallen to just 20 on par with slower growing peers like Darden, Cracker Barrel, and Buffalo Wild Wings. Shares plunged after its last earnings report as investors were scared off by modest comparable sales growth of just 1.1% and a decline in food and beverage comparable sales. However, it's likely that that is just a blip and one quarter's worth of comparable sales is not a good reason to sell as that figure is usually volatile. Even as the broader restaurant industry struggles, I think Dave & Buster's games give it a special draw that should keep customers coming through the door and profits growing. The overall business looks solid, the growth path is clear, and the valuation is the lowest it's ever been for the stock. I think now is a great time to buy. So, I've briefly talked about Dave & Buster's on the show previously, and I'll admit I'm slightly biased here in that I have an inherent respect in this company because they've essentially managed to create a Chuck E. Cheese for adults, and I think there's something kind of awesome about that. Um, their 
amusement business is, I feel like, the real power engine behind this company. But what are just some of your initial thoughts on this one? Well, so first off, one of my great regrets is that I've never been to a Dave & Buster's. Maybe we can arrange an office visit or something, purely for research purposes, That would be awesome. Course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that sounds like a good time. That sounds like a great Friday afternoon. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we can sell it on up. So a couple things that I saw, um, comp sales beating benchmarks for 21 quarters in a row. Um, when you see that sort of just consistent outperformance, that is a great sign. And I think it really speaks to the fact that Dave & Buster's is in, frankly, a weird niche. Because you've got your entertainment, you've got your sort of game watching, right? And you've got your game playing, and then you've got you know your food and your drink. Mm-hmm. And that's just such an interesting combination and experience that it's hard for me to see folks sort of leaving that because I think it's just such a unique experience. You know, when we talk about restaurants, you know, you're often talking about like a TGI Fridays versus a Ruby Tuesdays versus a Red Route, you know, versus whoever. Sure. And it's hard to kind of tell a huge difference between them because they're offering fundamentally pretty similar products in a lot of cases. Sure. Dave and Buster's is just different. Mm-hmm. And we see how that has an impact on their financials as well in that the Amusement side of the business, which I think it has a slight majority of their top line, around 55, 57% mm-hmm. of their revenue. The gross margins there are just absolutely astounding. I think they're approaching, if not just one percentage point or so away from 90% uh, margin in that side of the business. And so that is also driving, I think, a lot of their comparable sales gains. So you've mentioned how. Uh, for what was it, twenty-one quarters, however it is, you know, these right. comps so uh, very, very strong. But at the same time, uh, we've seen a de- deceleration in the number. And I think that's why they've been dinged so badly over the summer. Uh, the latest quarter, I think, it was at one point one percent for their comparable sales growth, and you know, investors did not like that. Well, and I'll say it reminded me. I'm sort of flashing back to Whole Foods a year or two ago when they first started reporting that comp sales were really seriously decelerating. And as at the time, an unrepentant Whole Foods bull, I said, well, sure, but the new stores are doing really well. And yeah, okay, things are moderating, but they're still positive. And then they just kept going down and turned negative. And that's when I started seeing my thesis really fall apart. I'm not saying Dave & Buster's is there. But I do want to warn people against becoming complacent with, well, it's still positive, well, they're still beating the category. Because, of course, the restaurant category as a whole, it's kind of had a tough year so far. Yeah. And so one of the things I think to consider as well is whether the sort of overall headwinds for the industry make even what might be one of the better or even best in class companies in it still worth an investment right now. Yeah, I think it's a really good way to look at it. Um, when it comes, I think there have been some uh, industry research firms put uh, over the summer, or for the second quarter at least, comps across the restaurant industry uh, down, I think, something like 1% or 2%. So, that 1.1% looking pretty bright, relatively. But And we talked a little bit about, you know, who do you compare this company to uh, in terms of its peers? Because it isn't like those quick-service restaurants and, and those traditional operations. Is it you know, could it even be compared to, the, for example, the gaming industry? But when it comes down to, it, just because it is so strong, if you put it in that restaurant sector, doesn't mean that it is the best place to essentially put your money. Um, I will say though, that uh, again, kind of ending on a valuation note, um, they 
from my check this morning are trading at about 17 times their forward earnings estimates. Which really yes. isn't that bad. Yes. I mean, that's very reasonable you, for this sector as well. And that puts you pretty close to the S&P. I mean, you know, within a couple points in either direction. Sure. And the long-term growth estimates from analysts are not too far from that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, looking at it from that kind of perspective, I, I don't want to say that this is one that uh, you know, that I really disagree uh, with Jeremy on the thesis. I, like I said, I do think this is one of the best in class. I actually, I just love this business. Mm-hmm. But investors do need to consider: like, is the restaurant sector where you want to be putting your money right now? Any other thoughts? I think that's about it for that one. All right. Uh, thanks again to Harry's for supporting the Molly Fool and Industry Focus. Harry's razors and creams have been my go-to products for well over a year now, and that's easily the longest I can remember sticking with the same shaving system. My electric razors, my safety razors, everything else has either gone in the trash or sits around collecting dust. Because I'm about as far as you can get from being a morning person, so when I wake up, I want to be able to get ready and out the door as quickly as possible. And part of that means having the right routine. So when I shave, I want it to be a quick and simple process. Harry's won me over with a fast, close, and comfortable shave, one that I can get even when I'm half asleep. And the shaving cream offers a rich, thick lather with a scent that even my wife loves, and the incredibly sharp blades glide through my facial hair, giving me a close shave on the first pass every time. To bring your own shaving experience to the next level, start shaving with Harry's today. You can claim your free trial set, including ergonomic razor handle, a cartridge with five precision-engineered blades, and a rich shave gel. You can claim that all in a free trial set, a $13 value, by going to harrys.com. That's right. Harry's is so confident you'll love their products that they're offering foolish listeners a shaving set for free. Just pay $3 for shipping. Go to harrys.com. All right. Our last pitch here from Simon Erickson, uh, awesome guy. His pitch is for Tractor Supply Company. I don't think that name has ever been uttered on Industry Focus on this on this show on, on Tuesday. So, Certainly not on financials or healthcare. Either, so let's so. hear what he has to say because this is a really really cool company, and I'm very excited uh, uh, to talk about it. Hi everyone, I'm Simon Erickson, the lead advisor of Motley Fool Explorer, covering some of the market's largest tech stocks. But today. I'm going to be talking about a consumer and retail play called Tractor Supply. Ticker is TSCO. This is the largest rural lifestyle retail store in America. So they sell things like supplies for pets and horses and fencing and tools and equipment. And basically anything that you might need if you're living off of the beaten path or off of the paved road. There's 1,630 tractor supply locations across the US. They've got 160 more that are pet sense locations for pets. But one of the big things that I like about Tractor Supply is that it's shielded from larger retail competitors. And I think this is important for any retail company out there. There's general bricks and mortar retailers like Walmart or do it yourself retailers like Lowe's or Home Depot that really it doesn't make sense for them to compete on the same turf that Tractor Supply is competing in. Uh, They're built in rural locations that are a little bit away from city centers, and it simply doesn't make economical sense for a Lowe's to put another location out there. They're already established, they have a brand with the local populace, and they've already established that power of habit with consumers. And I think that's very important for Tractor Supply, especially for those consumable, recurring revenue purchases that they're always making there. And then, in terms of retail, we can't go on, on a retail show without talking about Amazon.com. And I think the Tractor Supply, this is really a business that Amazon doesn't want to compete against. 
When you're shipping 50-pound bags of deer corn and pig feed around, it just doesn't make sense for Amazon to be shipping that with the infrastructure that they already have on an, e- in an, on an e-commerce business model. And this is something that really works to Tractor Supply's advantage. They've got those recurring consumable revenues that they're picking up from consumers that are out in rural locations that just don't make sense to be shipping around via e-commerce. So, in addition to being shielded from larger competitors, there's something else that I want to talk about that's very good for shareholders of Tractor Supply, and that's this company's capital allocation. Because they've got this recurring revenue stream that comes in, they're converting about 6% of sales into free cash flow, which is something we love to see as investors because that can be used to our benefit. Uh, two of the things that they're actually doing with their free cash right now is they're paying in an increasing dividend and they're buying back shares of the company. Their dividend has more than doubled in the last five years, and it now yields 1.8%. And the company has bought back more than 10% of its outstanding share count in the last five years as well. So that gives us a bigger piece of the pie as existing shareholders for Tractor Supply. So again, this is a company that's got a recurring model. They're shielded from larger competitors and retail out there right now. And they've got some really great capital allocation chops. I really consider all of our listeners and viewers to consider Tractor Supply, TSCO, as an attractive of retail purchase right now. Okay, so Simon's made a pretty compelling pitch there. I think um, it reminds me. It reminds me of a lot of different companies. Um, you know, one of the first things he talks about is how the location uh, of these stores and the target market, even in terms of rural consumers and regions where it may not be as profitable for major competitors to open their own shops, offers like a pretty solid moat, I think. And you have this idea, uh, it reminds me a little bit of, for example, how uh, discount stores, dollar store retailers, Mm -hmm. have been able to carve out a niche in themselves by often locating stores in underserved areas. And I I think this is an example of that. And, uh, you know, Tractor Supply's value proposition overall, it's a one-stop shop. Right, offering convenience and a wide enough, I think, product selection in these areas for their core customers, and at the same time, you know, these aren't huge stores either. Uh, I, from what I could find, they're about fifteen thousand to twenty thousand square feet. And for some perspective, that's smaller than even a very modest modern grocery store. And so, customers, uh, in terms of convenience, can also kind of get in and get out with whatever they need. And in the ten k, uh, they kind of the management. Kind of uh, summarizes the way they approach this this selection and convenience. They just say we cater to the rural lifestyle and often serve a market by being a trip consolidator for many basic maintenance needs for farm, ranch, and rural customers. Uh, what are your thoughts? So, when we when I first heard Tractor Supply Company, my immediate thought was. Oh God! This is a company investing in, our, in agriculture, and frankly, <laughs> agriculture as a whole is just not a great business to yep. be in because you have a commodity, and you are so beholden to other prices, and you're usually a price taker as opposed to a price maker. So farming is tough, mm-hmm. and anyone who who farms uh, will, I think, agree that it's a very tough thing. Uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger got a question at Berkshire Hathaway a couple years ago about cattle ranching and what they thought of it as a business. And Munger's response was, and I'm paraphrasing, I can't imagine a worse business for us to be in. And Buffett softened and said, well, it's not quite that bad. He said, but you know, most of the successful cattle ranchers owned a few banks on the side or something like mm-hmm. that. So, it's a, it's a tough business to be in. But what's interesting about Tractor Supply is First off, they're diversified, so they're, I think, 46% of sales, uh, livestock and pet, 22% hardware. They've got gifts and toys, clothing and footwear, agricultural products sort of making up the, the balance for their 2016 sales. A very small balance for the agriculture, too. <laughs> right, yeah, I think it's 5% for 2016 sales. 
And what's been crazy to me is the margins that they have been able to maintain. Mm-hmm. So they're at, uh, I think, 9.9% operating margin so far in 2017. And over the last year, their gross margins have been about 34%. I do not know how they have pricing power, but it appears that they have some kind of pricing power. And that is, frankly, very attractive. Uh, just uh, to put that into perspective, a Walmart, for example, mm-hmm. will claim a gross margin level of about 25%. So, this 10 percentage points ahead of that. And management doesn't try and do a high-low pricing strategy, mm-hmm. getting you in uh, on staple items and then kind of charging a premium on others. They just want to offer uh, their customers kind of consistent, solid values across the board, kind of feel like they're getting a good, fair deal when they make their visit to tractor supply stores. And I think an important part of that is keeping the customer coming back, because Simon spoke to this too, it's the recurring revenues mm-hmm. from the consumables that uh, tractor supply customers tend to purchase and how that offers some stability. The company refers to these products as consumable, usable, and edible, and they are key to driving traffic to stores. Um, and there are other growth initiatives in the store like on that you'll see on the shop floor focus, just focused on introducing, for example, new products uh, to keep the shopping experience exciting. They're starting to offer more localized products mm-hmm. um, as that trend really grows across the retail industry. We've talked about that on the show previously. And they're also offering ex- some exclusive brands that can help foster some customer loyalty. Um, some of the big box stores are kind of uh, venturing into that, hoping that exclusive brands will give them a little bit of loyalty too. And those brands at Tractor Supply make up 30% of revenue already. And uh, I, I, I know this company comes up all the time, especially in my segment, just by the, the by, uh, the fact of how much they've influenced uh, competition, <laughs> which is Amazon, right? And you know Simon brings them up uh, specifically, basically uh, speaking to how the company's insulated a little bit from uh, Amazon and also e-commerce competition in general due to the nature of their business and the products that they sell. What do you th- What do you think? Do you think that's a uh, something that's sustainable? Do you think that's really as as true as it's, as you know he kind of pitches it as? So I've got to say. I think a lot of the benefit that Tractor Supply has right now appears to be the fact that they have they have the store in this underserved location, sure. right? Something like that. So, so in a lot of ways, it's a supply chain issue that I think Amazon might struggle to overcome. Does that mean Amazon can never overcome it? I'm not sure. I would actually even say I would think probably not. I think they ultimately could if they really put in the time and the effort. The question is, is this a market that they're going to go after? I don't think it's going to be one they'll go after for a while because there are so many other markets that Amazon is trying to disrupt right now. I think Tractor Supply has got time to get its ducks in a row. And perhaps over that time, it can build that moat to really protect itself. I mean, one of the things that really jumped out to me is they have about 1,620 stores, something like that. They're planning to expand to 2,500. So when you look at the Western region, so think kind of Colorado and points west, they have 172 out of the 424 stores that they have planned. So that just speaks to me about how much opportunity they have in a lot of these states where there's a lot of ranching, where there's a lot of rural agriculture, to really build more of these in these, let's say, again, relatively underserved areas, really build up that brand and that customer loyalty, and perhaps build something that's fairly impenetrable for Amazon. Yep. I, I, I look at this in terms of you know the Amazon threat on, on two sides. Um, I completely agree that if there's any company out there that's going to Essentially, innovate away some of the logistical issues of shipping the kind of things that they do. Like I think Simon mentioned, the fifty-pound bag of livestock feed, for right. example. But at the same time, you know, there's just the sh- uh, the nature of 
Tractor Supply's customers and where they're located mm-hmm. adds a, uh, a little bit even more of an insular effect in that you know last mile fulfillment in logistics is often the by far the most expensive as uh, uh, part of that journey. So your right. package might travel thousands of miles, hundreds and thousands of miles, but those last few miles are often the most expensive part of the process. And so here you have customers in very rural areas that kind of adds to that the complexity there. Um, and then I also think that uh, there's something unique in terms of the way customers shop at Tractor Supply. You know, their average transaction value is just around forty-five dollars, um, with almost half of the revenue at this company coming from that livestock and pet category. And I think that kind of also adds an complication where you know that's not a very large ticket size. No. Now you're trying to ship uh, some water container or something like that that might not be ex- really expensive to justify uh, the. The I guess free shipping and and, and kind of uh, offers that Amazon's known for that really attracts those customers. So there's another added complexity. But at the same time, I think on the other side of that, you know, this isn't a company that's sh- like not thinking about their omni-channel strategy mm-hmm. either. Um, they've launched buy online, pick up in store recently, which is huge. Yeah, and which is management was very excited about that, and that makes up 55 percent of their online business, which is pretty incredible, and it's boosting trafficly where conveniently enough management says that customers you know they buy online they pick up in store and while they're at the store they'll add another 15% or so to their ticket while at the store so it's pretty powerful and uh, the buy online pick up in store orders and their other online orders enjoy ticket sizes that are twice as big as their average ticket and i think this is a case where customers uh, in a lot of these cases in these areas, they're traveling pretty far even mm-hmm. to get the tractor supply. And this is an instance where they might think to themselves, you know what? I might order extra to have just in case since I'm already going to the store and I know it's going to be there waiting for me. And there's convenience in that that I think uh, their target market really appreciates. Yeah. And let's face it, when we when we look at Amazon's penetration, I mean, a lot of the opportunity there is particularly in urban areas where you've just got such dense compact groups of people that it's relatively easy to get delivery. Out in rural Montana, that gets a lot tougher. And Absolutely. somebody like a tractor supply can provide a lot more a lot more to those folks a lot sooner for a lot longer. I mean, I think that Amazon is in place to disrupt a lot of things. Obviously it has already disrupted a lot of things, but it still commands a relatively small percentage of the market. And it seems to me that it's going to be a very long time, if ever before they will be able to actually properly go after this particular segment of the market. Unless Jeff Bezos just decides, meh, we're going to go after it because I feel like it, which really hasn't been his his modus. Usually he goes after things sort of based on size and potential opportunity. So think of it as sort of low effort, high value opportunities. Trying to disrupt tractor supply does not seem to be one of those. Mm-hmm. All right. So closing out here uh, on our discussion for this you know, very unique retailer, mm-hmm. um, in terms of uh, big picture, looking out uh, in terms of you know, we've talked a little bit about their what they see as their runway for store development, uh, going from approximately sixteen hundred to twenty five hundred stores. They recently acquired uh, a pet focused uh, uh, pet sense chain as well, mm-hmm. and they see a lot of potential there. Um, but you know, what do you think in terms? Of, is there anything that does worry though? And otherwise, what seems to be a really strong business model? Truly, when I look at it, there's not much. So there's going to be some seasonality. That's just kind of part of the deal. Sure. So that's fine. They had a miss last year, I think, because of some issues around that. But that's really not. Uh, you know, 
welcome to retail, right? Sure. This is kind of part of the absolutely part of the deal. When I look at it, I think across the board, the only real concern I have is that someone big comes in and disrupts things. But that just again, I don't see a compelling value prop for somebody else to try and do that. These folks have are driving a great gross margin good operating margins. It's very clear that they have their ducks in a row. They've got aggressive expansion planned, and it looks like they're really trying to protect themselves against potential e-commerce disruption by going ahead and building out some of those buy online and pick up in-store capabilities. Sure. And so, just across the board, this is a stock that I'm going to be digging deeper into personally. Yep. Uh same for me as well. Uh the things I'll I'll watch though um is Similar to Dave and Buster's, we're seeing a trend here that's not so promising in that their comparable sales growth is starting to trend downward a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, it was as high as almost 5% in 2013, um, and it fell to just 1.6% in uh, 2016, and that has bumped to 2.2% in the first half of 2017. So we're kind of seeing it fluctuate a little bit there. Mm-hmm. But uh, the only other thing uh, I think. You have to think about if you're really looking out long term. Is this idea uh, that in terms of demographics for the country, uh, the percentage of people in the United States living in urban areas is only growing. Mm-hmm. And its share of that's only growing. Now, during a recent conference, uh, an analyst posed this question to management: Do you see this as being a long term threat uh, as people, as your target market essentially starts migrating? Mm-hmm. And so. They don't. They see that. They say that in their core markets that the it shouldn't be impacted. Uh, they're not too worried about it. They're still seeing population growth. They're still seeing promising uh, metrics there. Essentially, they don't t- seem too too concerned. But that's something that kind of you know you have to think about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, any last thoughts from you, Michael? I again, I think this is a, a very interesting stock, particularly since it yields I think about two percent a dividend. And looks likely to continue repurchasing shares. I think there's a lot of reasons to be pretty interested in this company. And and frankly, for what it's worth, I think there are a lot of interesting things about all these companies. You know, Dave and Buster's mm-hmm. operates in a really unique niche. Under Armour is the number three sports brand in the world. And then you've got Tractor Supply Company, which is just its own special beast. And I think all three of those are really interesting pitches. So thanks you to uh, Vince for having me on and to Steve. And Jeremy and Simon for pitching these really fascinating companies. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining me, Michael. Uh, those are just the three for today. Uh, you miss if you haven't heard yesterday's episode. There's three more from Michael, and we have three more each day of the week for the various sectors. So make sure you tune in as uh, each of the hosts and the Full.com contributors pitch their stocks this week on Industry Focus. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations. For against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based only what you hear during the program. Full on.